0: Welcome to For The Record, the podcast dedicated to marketing to the legal industry. I'm Valerie Chan, your host to today's podcast. And I'm here with Derek Barto, the founder and principal consultant at Bartow Consulting, LLP. Barto Consulting collaborates with leaders and managers of small and mid-sized law firms to address their most pressing challenges. Specializing in financial management best practices and strategic consulting for law firms, Barto Consulting helps define your problems, analyze solutions, and implement changes. Welcome, Derek, to our show.
1: Thank you, Val. Thank you for having me.
0: So, Derek, I know you outside of the legal industry, but I am kind of curious about what you do. Tell me a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, it, it's not the traditional course um, by by any means, but I did start out fairly traditionally as a, a financial statement auditor. I'm a CPA, and I began by auditing small companies and not-for-profit organizations. Then, after a few years into my career, I started being a tax advisor. just That's where my, my work took me because I started to focus more on law firms. Um, after recognizing the need in the legal industry, I, I began to focus more on the financial management side and strategy side, which is where I fit nicely today and where Bardo Consulting really helps its clients.
0: That's really interesting. I think we started having conversations and I think I was surprised, especially since you have over two decades of experience in the accounting Profession that you knew so much about law firms and and that sort of a thing, and that you actually helped with strategic growth for law firms. So I'm kind of curious. Tell me about how you help law firms and how how did you get into helping them?
1: Yeah, it, <laughs> by accident. I certainly wasn't uh, sitting in in my dorm room at wake forest thinking let me get out into the world and and help law firms it was just by chance i was working at a great firm in southern california rbz and we had a law firm practice and so i took interest in it uh saw a a need and a need that really fit my personality when you work with law firms you realize that it's not just the business there's no Corporate shell, like there is in, in some other businesses, it's really personal. And when you're helping firms run better, you're really impacting the lives of of the individuals and their families. And to me, that was really rewarding and fun. And in having that opportunity at RBZ, I was able to really find something that fit for for me as a person. So it was really great. But it was totally by accident. And how I help firms is is really in in just that helping to run their firms better, so they can have more rewarding personal lives and fulfill what they want to fulfill through uh, through running their firm.
0: So you talk about RBZ, but you also were a partner at Armonino and had the opportunity to work with over 100 law firms and help them solve their problems. So I'm kind of curious, could you tell me a little bit about some case studies that that you've done with law firms um, and seen some successes?
1: Oh, uh, absolutely. There's. Let me start by saying, really, the heart of what makes firms tick is in their compensation models, and when those aren't working properly, it really leads to a lot of issues. And it's similar to you know the, the comp structure of associates, right? There's a market out there, and in the last you know, fifteen years or so since the recession lateral partner transition has really it was on the rise it's settled down in recent years and it's starting to pick up again now but designing compensation plans that are structured so that you can attract and retain talent is really a a key to being successful and working with law firms so i've done a lot of that over the years and no it's not a very specific case study but you know helping firms design that in a way where They can retain the talent as well as provide a succession plan for the uh, existing ownership, where those who founded the firm and built the equity are able to, quote unquote, retire out and transition what they've built to a new generation where it will thrive. So I've done quite a few of those over my career at RBZ and Arminino. And Arminino acquired RBZ back in 2015. So my role at Armonino was really a continuation of what I was doing at
0: Darby. Got it. So tell me about Barto Consulting. Um what exactly do you do for law firms?
1: Yeah, and and you you said uh, in in my introduction uh, I help identify problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what we do. We we help firms identify the problems and then craft and implement solutions to help make their situation better. I know that's very vague. So specifically we we really do that by serving as fractional CFO, fractional controller, and fractional reporting arms. And the reporting functions at law firms are really, really important. And you might just think of this as, oh, it's you know billable hours reports. Uh, it's a lot more complex than that. And really, when we look at the industry, there is a major lack of investment by firms and has historically been a, there has historically been a lack of investment in this reporting and analysis function, which especially in this economy is is really going to be an issue or tends to be an issue when firms are trying to grow or adapt to the certain challenges that the economies are bringing.
0: Got it. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to throw you a little bit of a zinger here just because I am kind of curious, especially since you've worked with both small and mid-sized law firms. What is the difference between a solopreneur and a small law firm and a small law firm and a mid-size law firm, especially in helping them with strategic growth and strategic financial growth?
1: Yeah. And that's really the key is what is their growth plan and and what is their future plan? As they exist, a, a small or solo law firm is going to have a lot different needs than a mid-sized law firm. Why? Because you're Typically, one practice focus, you have less people to monitor, especially if you're if you're just a, a solo, um, you only have one person to monitor, but you generally will have employees or staff and need to make sure that you're mobilizing them in the most productive way to generate the most profits. But when you get a little larger than that, you start to have to look at your business differently. and that's where things really begin to get challenging and you start to build an infrastructure. And it's very common that law firms grow on an infrastructure of from an accounting and finance perspective, they grow on an infrastructure of this person was helping me do the bookkeeping as a solo so they can take on more responsibility. And many times they can, but there's limitations into what each individual can do. And so as you Mm -hmm. grow your infrastructure. You need to make sure that you have the right expertise in the right places. And not every small or mid-sized law firm can go out you know, in the finance function and hire a CFO, a CFO that can mm-hmm. really do what needs to be done. But there mm-hmm. is a need. And so from Bardo Consulting's perspective, that's where we fail is as firms are growing, you, you can't hire a CFO or a controller. It just doesn't make economical sense, but you still need to implement a lot of those best practices and make sure that somebody who understands the business is giving you the advice so that you can prioritize where you spend your time and resources when the financial function.
0: Yeah, I think as um, attorneys, especially as you go into a solo or small law firm practice, um, it's about helping the clients. It's not about running the business per se. I do find that you focus on resource management, you focus on technology to make sure that you're able to serve the clients, but the financial strategy or the financial accounting side is often missing. And so, um, at least from some of the conversations that I've had with uh, law firm owners looking up and saying, okay, well, wait a second, what am I doing here? What's my growth plan? It's not typically something that, you know, small law firm owners actually think about. So, what are your thoughts on that? Do you see that at all?
1: Oh, uh, totally. I think you've hit the nail right on the head and that that same conundrum persists is what's the balance between the client service, which is the most important thing, and the structure that you have on on which to provide that advice and that service. And you've seen it in, in your experience in working with law firms and in the legal industry you have to really understand the full scope of what needs to happen to run Mm -hmm. a successful firm. You don't need to be expert in everything, but you do need to have some level of awareness. And from my perspective, I'm a financial expert, so I'm able to fill in those gaps really, really well. But there is so much more to running a firm. And what what benefits me is my knowledge and my experience in working with so many firms I'm able to see those things and understand that they need to be addressed by some individual. So I'm able to help with those strategies, help with being in the boardroom, so to speak, with the individuals who are setting the strategy and giving certain perspectives, but also understanding everybody's perspective and being able to develop a financial infrastructure that's able to help them accomplish and monitor their strategy and the execution of their strategy
0: that's actually amazing and extremely useful. So I am kind of curious, though, what are some of the challenges that you see that law firms have, especially as it relates to accounting and financial management?
1: Yeah. And I, I think, let me first kind of give a framework, contextual framework, so that we understand kind of where the challenges will fit. And from my perspective, I look at what functions a finance and accounting department should be performing really, really well, and I can break them down into a few and we can get more detailed on these. But to summarize it, you've got of your financial strategy and that's your planning and making sure that the firm is expected to be profitable as you grow to more than a handful of attorneys. This becomes more and more important, being able to look at what's my revenue strategy. How am I going to set rates? What are the operating expenses that I will have and manage? What investments will I make, whether it's in a new office or a contingency matter that I might take on. So, being able to set these financial strategies with some input from the finance function uh, is, is really important. Another important factor is the partner relations, especially as you start to grow. You take on new partners, and new partners are not just employees, they're contributing to the business. They may have complementary skill sets to the original owners, or have been running the firm for previous period. So you, you have to have some level of relations with them. As we talked before, this includes the compensation plans, um, how you bring them in when partners exit, how that looks. And so it, it's really about how you manage that whole process. Very important in, in law firms. Then we get to the, you know, the accounting operations phase, and that's what you normally think of. Your, your billing, your collecting, your trust accounting, You know, just keeping the lights on, keeping things running. And then lastly, which is the most important piece, is the reporting and analysis. When you start to have a more complex organization, you really need to report. You really need to be providing that feedback to the strategy to make sure that things are operating as planned. And if you need to adjust, which you certainly will, you can make those adjustments with really sound information. And so that's the biggest challenge that I see for law firms is Having the quality information that they need to really run their business,
0: I am kind of curious in that regard. Like, do you help them put together the framework for an analytic structure so that they can understand what they're looking at? Do you walk them through that on a quarterly basis? I mean, I mean, how should a law firm actually think about those things?
1: I, I think it comes down and, to what is quality information and, and what they need and so Mm -hmm. when i'm looking at what is quality information i want it to be timely accurate relevant and consistent timely meaning you give it to the person in enough time where they can actually influence the numbers that they're looking at accurate is fairly self-explanatory in that it needs to be correct enough relevant is it within their sphere of influence can they influence the, the people who are controlling those numbers and, and does it matter to them? And then consistency is just so that people can know what they're looking at. And especially lawyers who are naturally skeptical, they're constantly going to be asking questions about the information and the source of information, which is a great characteristic when you're dealing with running a firm and an information structure. You need to have some trust in some things that you can just inherently rely on. So establishing that is really, really key in running the business.
0: So I, this is, goes back to some of the questions that I had a little bit earlier in terms of mistakes and in information that law firms actually look at. What are some of the factors or you know variables that law firms look at that maybe they either shouldn't be looking at or is looked at incorrectly on a balance sheet or as part of the analytic structure that you put in place to understand whether or not the business is actually on target to grow?
1: Yeah, I, I think the biggest mistake that is made is running your business with your P&L. Sounds kind of funny when I say it, but it, it, it's a matter of completeness. When you look at a P&L, it doesn't tell you the whole story, especially when you're in a partnership because you have other activities. Law firms will have client costs advanced. Those may significantly impact the firm financially, but they don't show up on an income statement so it doesn't tell you anything about your cash position. Partner draws. Don't show up on an income statement. So looking at the cash flow items and expanding out what you're looking at is super important on top of when we get to all the other statistics that law firms have. And it's amazing. And I have been keeping every six minutes of my time since I started 20 years ago, and I hate it. But the value of it (laughs) is that it provides so much information so you have so much information that you can use to run your business. And what I recommend firms do is it doesn't quite matter what, there's no prescribed metrics that you should always look at. There's some that are more common than others, but it really has to tie into your strategy. And the idea is if you can't have a page, a single dashboard that you can look at on a daily basis or a weekly basis to help run your business, then you you might be suffering from information overload. And what you really need to do is find the right balance. You've got all this information. You shouldn't have 30 pages of information that you're looking at because people will get fatigued. You should have the one page and consolidate what you need and make sure you know what's important. It's a good exercise. It's really difficult to boil it down, especially when you have so much at your fingertips. But the benefits are really significant.
0: So, what should those variables be on that one page?
1: Uh, what I like to see, and it could be about ten variables, but I like to see collections and AR. Absolutely, I mean that—that's really the tail end of the business. And if that doesn't function properly, then everything else that you've done is for nothing. So, mm-hmm. collections and AR and being able to find out where are my problem areas. I like to look at the client performance. So whether it's clients or matters and how those clients are doing and who's working on them, what they're working on and what their realization is. And many firms will struggle with finding realization that one is accurate because it can come out of the systems in many different ways, depending on what time and billing Mm -hmm. system you use. And two, you have to understand what it means and, and what the components of it are. And so when you're tracking it, what, how I like to track it is build realization. How much was build versus how much was, was worked? Because
0: mm-hmm. when
1: I have control over that. You know, or certain, I can talk to certain individuals about that. The collections, on the other hand, are, are really a different process and a different individual might be mm-hmm. more uh, appropriate to, to own that process. So those are some of the things that I really like to look at on top of just the, the normal hours, you know, not spending too much time on it, but people should be working their hours. So looking at those, uh, those key metrics are really helpful. And then when I want to dig down into client performance, a lot of firms will ask me for profitability, which is important and has its time and place, but that's not a daily metric because there's so many components that go into that. But what is a a daily metric or a monthly recurring metric is your blended billing rates. And it's it's similar to realization, but it really, it tells you a lot because it's down to the individual level and you can really compare. Ah, this individual is supposed to be billed out at $350 an hour, but their blended rate is $325. Well, why would that be so low? Ah, Mm -hmm. this one client that they're working on seems like their rate is $250 an hour. Why is that the case? How do we solve that problem? So you can kind of drill down in that sense. I really like to look at blended billing rates. What actually got mm-hmm. billed out the door, because the rack rates are generally misleading.
0: I am kind of curious, and maybe this is just for for my curiosity more than anything. But I, um, when you think of, especially when it comes to growth strategy, one of the things that I like to do. Is to look at what the you know the yearly profitability would be, or what what the profitability index would be. What does going EBITDA, EBITDA gonna look like this year versus next year, and just benchmark it just as a, on a weekly basis. What are your thoughts uh, related to that?
1: Oh, it, it's a must. It, generally, on a, a monthly basis is when we'll look at that, um, mm-hmm. and what that entails is setting not just your income statement budget, but also your cash flow budget, and being mm-hmm. able to look at a reasonable period generally 1 to 2 years sometimes more if you're if you're doing a succession plan or if you're really doing some heavy planning you want to get eyes you know, out a few more years but you you lose a lot when you go out more than a year or two in your projections but establishing that measurement in the strategy arena establishing that measurement when you're planning and setting your strategy is really important and that's the value of having a budget and using that budget as a reporting tool so that on a monthly basis, you can compare to that budget and use that to really run your business. And the challenge that many firms run into with that is they just have some, you know, the partners will have somebody else set their budget for that. It's look at last year, mm. let's get some expenses. The,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the, the revenue is, hey, let's just take our people and, and build up a revenue number or let's just take Mm -hmm. last year, very dangerous trap. When you're trying Mm -hmm. to grow, you cannot use your firm's history as an Mm -hmm. indicator of what will happen. You really have to use intent. And so when you're driving those those budget numbers, you have to look at what do we expect to do? We expect to have a new office. We expect to have more people. What is that going to look like from a revenue standpoint? And Look at it conservatively. You don't want to get to a point where you're constantly off on your budget because you've assumed that your realization rate would be 99% and everybody would be working 1,800 hours. It just, yeah, you, you have to set your budgets on more conservative numbers. But the most important part is in that reporting and analysis area, making sure that you're looking at the performance against those budgets on a regular basis, reprojecting seeing if you're going to be off course, not just now, but in six months from now.
0: Yeah. Seems like um, the listening exercise, understanding where you actually want to grow to and being able to understand what realization rates are and where you want to go is actually intent is really important compared to how we like to think about looking at an annual budget or growth plan. So very, very different. Well, that, Very interesting. That's
1: where the financial strategy piece. It comes into play. And when we're talking about Mm -hmm. how the finance team can support the strategy setting from that standpoint, Mm -hmm. is a financial strategist being able to tell the attorneys who are setting the goals and and setting the budget, here's the issue with that. And being able to raise those red flags if they are just foundationally preparing the budget Mm -hmm. or the plan wrong or setting expectations that are unlikely to be met. And so having that infrastructure or that embedded in your infrastructure can really help to have a strategy that is achievable.
0: Got it. So there are two questions I have related to this. Some of the firms that I know of, just in the midsize range, not primarily small you know, small law firms, but have changed um, from an hourly model to an AFA model. Um, how does that affect profitability and realization? Or does it? It can.
1: I've seen it in some cases be extremely, extremely profitable. You know, where I've seen the most success is in success fees. If cases go well, uh, there's a kicker, right? So success fees work, fixed fees may not, because if you don't Mm -hmm. have the right data, then you're kind of just guessing at it, but it's, it's still based on an hourly model, right? In Mm -hmm. in most cases, Mm -hmm. unless you're a contingency based firm where you can adapt certain processes to make things happen more efficiently. And you're not restricted by this hourly albatross that sits around your neck, uh, mm-hmm. but you, can, you have control over your own fate. When you're on an hourly basis, even if you fix the fee or, or you know, design some other model around it, you are really just working hourly and shifting risk. So when you do that, you have to make sure to, to put contingencies into your estimates and you know model it the right way. But I, I've generally found that the success of fixed fee arrangements or alternative fee arrangements can swing wildly in either direction. But usually mm-hmm. they're coming in pretty close to at a lower realization rate that's slightly lower than the firm average.
0: Interesting. And you help um, companies and law firms with determining whether or not they can switch to an FA if it's interesting to them or if it's better for them oh, that, from a utilization perspective. Uh,
1: absolutely. Yeah. And, and yeah. no matter how you do it, it it's a financial arrangement.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: So, and it, it, the financial arrangement is looking at history as a guide, looking at expectations, whether you know, history may guide them or not. Uh, and then managing risk. So putting all those together is something that requires some financial understanding. And some some firms don't have me do it and they you know they know the business well enough and they kind of have a feel for it to where they're able to to craft them themselves, but others need a lot of support and data and whether it's setting a fixed fee or some other arrangement need to know hey how does this look? What are the pluses and minuses? How might this go wrong? How might this go really well? And so using the financial function to give you that information, whether it's through through me and Bardo Consulting or mm-hmm. through the in-house team, um, they, they will need that information.
0: So let's switch gears for a second because um, I know that some of the friends that I have that are actually starting their own law firms, are you know they were either were associates or junior partners at law firms and now they're kind of heading into starting their own law firm how does the economy contribute to some of the challenges they may see right now in this economy setting up their firm and and what should they be pay attention to from a financial perspective
1: yeah I, I my first advice is to start off nailing the basics and, and as i said before collections, right? Everything mm-hmm. should be about collections. So as you're setting up your new retainers, as you're getting your new clients, as you're bringing in this work, how are you going to collect it? And so thinking of it from that standpoint is really important. And when you talk about the economic challenges right now, there's, there's just a lot of uncertainty as to what businesses will be able to do. So I think that mm. that's just very broad advice as you're getting started. But the challenges you can expect are really going to be around people. The people environment mm-hmm. that we are in now is like none that we've ever seen before. And uh, mm-hmm. it, it is trending to persist. And some law firms, as it relates to remote working, are saying, hey, you know, everybody back in the office.
0: Um, mm-hmm.
1: I, I just, that's not the reality of what the future of practicing is going to be like. So when you're setting up mm-hmm. your firm, you need to think about how you're going to work with people, how you're going to attract the people that you need, how you're going to compensate them, and how you're going to interact with them and manage your investments accordingly. Don't go get mm-hmm. an office if, if you're not going to be able to find anybody who can go into the office, who's even in the same state as you are. And while well, things have settled down a little bit from where they were, the last couple years there's there's still a lot of benefit to that you know de- defining your people strategy and making sure yeah. that it's a core part of your business model
0: got it so l- let's talk about where the economy has been and where it is right now and where it's going over the last 5 years from some of the friends that I have that actually run law firms they've said that law firm management has changed especially given what happened with covid from You know, managing people to financial management to forecasting and whatnot. I'm just kind of curious in your experience since you have worked with over 100 law firms, and have kind of seen law firms through this shift. What you've seen and how have companies either grown during this time or not? Can you share some of your experiences with the audience?
1: Absolutely. the The management is is really challenging right now and we've seen this before and obviously over the last two decades i've seen different types of economic cycles and being at the forefront of the last recession and being able to really see what firms were doing to respond the challenges were different and i think what it really came down to is there was a lot of fat to trim there's a lot of overhead and so while there was pressure and there were challenges that really helped a lot. And you know, the administrative structures and support structures of firms changed drastically and that coincided and was timed really well with the advances of technology and alternative service providers that were able to fill in some gaps. And, and so mm-hmm. the, the, the law firm model changed a little in that, uh, you know, you were really looking at partner profitability and and productivity. you were really in that time period, not allowing quite as many partners in. And you were really looking for laterals that had a book of business to grow your firm. And that was Mm,
0: number one mm -hmm. strategy
1: that was, that was employed, but that didn't really change the business model. Mm -hmm. A lot of things were done very similarly. AFAs were coming into or kind of re entering the conversation quite, quite a bit more. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, um, at the core, it, it wasn't changed as much as it is now because
0: mm-hmm.
1: professional services are people businesses. And the whole economy, from a people standpoint, has changed. We were thrust into remote work that requires mm-hmm. different management from a, a firm perspective. You can't see people. To know that they're working. You can't see people to know that they're happy. You can't see mm-hmm. smiles on their faces. They might not be on camera on Zoom. Whatever the, the reason is, it's a, mm-hmm. a different management. You've got technology mm-hmm. to help support that remote working that's becoming more and more prominent in firms
0: mm-hmm.
1: and becoming a necessity. And on the financial side, I look at you know, billing software and paperless billing programs that firms were just starting to, uh, to implement them when COVID hit. And there were some that were, were doing it for a good bit of time prior to it, but pretty much all of them were thrust into it pretty quickly that time period. Yeah, But that, I think, pales in comparison to what's happening with the changing demographics and, yeah. and the, the industry as a whole. Over the last three years, the total population of lawyers in the U.S., has actually declined. Mm. And that is the first time that, that it's happened in, in decades. Additionally, I lost my train of thought. Hold on here. Additionally, you've got changing lawyer demographics. And about 10 years ago, you had about 26% of lawyers that were over the age of 55. Mm-hmm. If you look at it today, that number has gone up to 32%. So you've got the majority of the demographic class as imminent retirees Mm -hmm. and those coming into the industry especially when we look at the last few years and law school enrollment had declined drastically after the the recession and it hadn't Mm -hmm. quite recovered it's just starting to recover and it's it's interesting if you look at the the starting salaries Mm -hmm. and Compared to the uh, law school enrollment, you'll -hmm. find a relationship. The law school enrollment increases a year or two after the starting salaries start to increase. So now that we've got salaries back on the rise after they declined significantly after the session, we're starting to get more attorneys coming into the industry, but not enough. So you're going to have to do more with less. And what we experienced in 2021 with Massive turnover and skyrocketing compensation. And I'll tell you, the firms that I dealt with during that time period were panicking, raising salaries in, in ways that they couldn't even support financially. Hmm. And, and it was really driven by the top tier firms in the Amla 100 that were, were paying these, these salaries that mid sized firms and small firms couldn't even, even fathom. So things really changed from a, a people competition standpoint. Now it's come back down to so, earth a little bit.
0: Yeah, but I, I am kind of curious because uh, running out of time. What are some strategies that you recommend, especially given the the people aspect um, and what law firms should pay attention to now in a recessionary environment? What What are strategies that they should pay attention to to grow during this time?
1: Yeah, I think no, number one is you have to be cognizant of your model and that that goes to profitability. You have to understand what components go into it and how the people that you're hiring can drive the revenue that you need to, to really be as profitable as you had planned.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think the other I- advice that I'd give uh, as it relates to technology, there's a lot of new technology that is available. Do not rush into it. Technology by itself is never the solution. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's a tool and it can help the solution, but you really need to look at your process before you make the leap to a new technology. Because what might happen is you slow the process significantly. You add new sets of challenges. In a time where you really need to mobilize people to to change and, and, and adopt this growth strategy, if you say technology is what you need to be able to do that, you're really adding a lot of risk and you may just create a lot of fatigue around these strategies by implementing something new work with what you have, make it work, look at your process, your inputs, your process and your outputs, and use that to, to guide the technology decisions.
0: Got it. Last question, especially on the technology note, are you especially since you did this at Armenino, are you going to start recommending like once you're able to, to help law firms with their growth strategy? Are you going to start going? Are you going to recommend technology to law firms if they ask?
1: we do make some recommendations uh, on technology mm-hmm. and we generally will look at it from the standpoint i just mentioned of what what's the process mm-hmm. that it supports what information is mm-hmm. needed can we do it with what we already have
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: but generally i will rely on experts like you and others to really
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, to know what's out there in the industry and be able to recommend and and work with with you and work with others on really supporting that process, that transition, the change management process that's
0: mm-hmm.
1: in, in that's inherent in any technology adoption.
0: Got it. Well, this has been really informative and helpful. Um, so I really appreciate your time on the podcast and thank you so much for joining us.
1: I appreciate you having me. Thank you so much.
0: Great.